Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Breakfast Theology. My name is Isaac Kane. I'm joined by Josiah. I'm just kidding. This is Josiah talking. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully I'm not confusing you too much. You almost confused me. (laughs) But I am joined by Isaac this morning. Yeah, I was about to mix up and say Josiah. No, this is Isaac. And I'm also here with Chuck. Jones. The one and only. There probably actually are oh, at least thousands, Brazilians. yeah, of Chuck Jones, but the only one that's here currently, temporally and physically, you have manifested yourself in this particular location at this particular time in the the three-dimensional world in which we participate in. Yes. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a fast fact for you this morning. The hooded seal has the largest percentage of milk fat of every single mammal's milk at 60%. Apparently, it has a consistency similar to toothpaste. <coughs> Maybe a little thinner. I do not want to brush my teeth with that. But that's how you put on good amounts of weight quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you guys want to go on an interesting diet plan, Pack on a few pounds quickly. There you go. This morning, I did not have hooded seals milk for breakfast, but I did have a breakfast sampler, which is uh, three different kinds of pork, (laughs) bacon, sausage, and ham. Thank goodness for the new covenant. Yeah. And pack the pounds on, too. Yeah. Yeah. Hash browns and eggs as well, and toast. It's very delicious. I had a uh, spicy beef bowl thing. I don't quite remember everything I was on it, but it had rice and beef and green peppers and tomato with like a cheese sauce and a uh, normal like salsa and with avocado. And I had a side of pancakes because I'm an IHOP, so might as well do pancakes. It was awesome. I had a breakfast bowl too. It was a spicy poblano with avocado, queso, and uh, what was the red stuff? Salsa. 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 Yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah, during when we were starting breakfast, Isaac just kept I, he, we, he got these two containers this like white sauce and this red sauce and he's like asking what they are he's like it's like this creamy white sauce and Chuck's like it's cheese it's just cheese <laughs> and he's like what is this red sauce it kind of looks spicy and he's like it's just salsa <laughs> so good times here at fill in the context so you know that Chuck was making fun of me in that moment and not actually wondering what the salsa was <laughs> Yeah, it's good good times here at Breakfast Theology. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, if you're in the Grand Rapids area and would like to participate, uh, just email us at breakfasttheology at gmail.com and we can have you on potentially as a guest of the show. And you get free breakfast. So reach out to us at breakfasttheology at gmail.com as well as if you have any comments, criticisms, ideas, just a comment. Anything like that, just uh, let us know who's listening. We're really interested uh, to find out who's participating in this podcast on a weekly basis because it's something that we enjoy doing, something that we think is valuable, 
And obviously there are people listening. Uh, currently we are sitting right around 2,000 people, who, 2,000 listens on our podcast so far. And it's actually a little higher than that because we switched platforms about a few months into the process here. So yeah, we, we have people listening. We just don't know who they are. And we want to figure that out. So shoot us an email. Okay, so what are we talking about this morning? Well, you know, I would like to go back over your sermon that you delivered Sunday. I think that was a very, very good sermon. Put put together well, delivered well, and with good content. Just as a side note, uh, you can find all of North Kent Bible Church's sermons uh, one of two ways. You can find it anywhere where you find your podcast. You can search North Kent Bible Church Sermons, and we have our own podcast there. Or you can go to NKB, or sorry, you can go to NorthKentBibleChurch.com, and there's an audio section with our sermons, and you can listen to them all there as well. So how much did you pay Chuck to say nice things about your sermon just now? Well, he didn't buy me breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Too much. No. So, on Sunday, my main text was Ezekiel 8, chapter 8, which is a vision that Ezekiel gets from God. And I'll just read the first few verses here for us, just to kind of get our bearings. Okay. So it came about in the sixth year, on the fifth day of the sixth month, as I was sitting in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the hands of the Lord God fell on me there. Then I looked, and behold, a likeness as the appearance of a man, from his loins and downward there were the appearance of fire, and from his loins and upward the appearance of brightness, like the appearance of glowing metal. He stretched out the form of a hand and caught me up by a lock of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven, and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate and of the inner gate, where the seat of the idol of jealousy, which provokes the jealousy, was located. And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there, like the appearance which I saw in the plain. So, Ezekiel gets his vision, and this glowing metal-looking guy, this glowing figure of fire, grabs him and takes him to Jerusalem in this vision. By the hair. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> Easy handle. Yeah. <laughs> and it says, by the visions of God, which this Hebrew word for visions uh, is kind of like looking through something through a looking glass or a mirror. So it's like really close to reality, but uh, is kind of obscured. But whatever the case is, it is similar to what God sees and, and what God wants to show Ezekiel here. <clears throat> and so he's taken to a, another place that he recognizes because he lived in Jerusalem up until he was a young man and then taken into exile. So he knows where he's at. He, he recognizes this place. <clears throat> and then God starts to show him things in Jerusalem. And he goes uh, in verse 6. He says, uh, here, let me show you some of these abominations. And in verse 7, he says, he takes, God takes him to this hole in the wall. And he says, here, dig through the wall. And he digs through the wall and he finds the entrance to this room. 
and then he says go in and see what's going on there and he, he walks in Ezekiel enters into this room and he sees all these detestable things and he sees the uh, elders of Israel worshipping idols and carved images and it says that it's specifically in these dark places and behind these walls and then these elders say uh, the Lord does not see us the Lord has forsaken the land but it's very clear that God is actually seeing what's going on because he leads Ezekiel in this vision to go see behind these walls and into the dark places where they thought that they couldn't be seen. Mm. And so what we really see is a difference in God's perspective from what we see, right? Mm -hmm. I think uh, in particular when I was looking over this chapter, uh, two verses in this section really stood out to me, uh, and you kind of mentioned them a little bit already. Verse 6 um, is one I, I would like to think about for a second. Uh, verse 6 of Ezekiel 8 says, And he said to me, Son of man, uh, which is interesting, by the way, that even Ezekiel was called Son of Man. And this really means a human. Son of Man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations of the house of Israel are committing here. They drive me far from my sanctuary. But you will still see greater abominations. And, and you know, I think God not only has a greater perspective of everything that's happening on earth, but he even sees deeper in what people's true hearts are feeling and expressing and so I almost imagine you know like in verse 12 it talked about God isn't like in their mind God isn't here he's forsaken us he can't see us we're going to go do these things and in their mind it's probably why they're starting to worship other things because they felt like they were abandoned but God sees the truer deeper maybe even subconscious level of their feelings and emotion of what they're doing which is trying to say, God, we're pushing you out of the situation. You know, verse 6, it says, um, you know, they are committing abominations in the house of Israel to drive me far from my sanctuary. Like, he sees their heart and notices through his perspective. That's why they're doing it. So I found that interesting because um, God sees our true heart uh, of the words and actions that we say and, and do and uh, we might not even know ourselves why we're truly doing something. You know, sometimes we say things or do things without truly knowing the root of why we're doing it. And God sees it. You know, and I think that could have been displayed in verse 6 here, possibly. Yeah. That, that same kind of thought is echoed in, uh, later on in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 11. Will you look at 11.5 for us? Chuck and read that. Yeah. Then the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said to me, Speak, thus saith the Lord. Thus you have said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. You have multiplied your slain in the city and have filled its streets with the slain. Therefore, says the Lord God, your slain whom you have laid in the midst, they are the meat, and the city is a cauldron, but I shall bring you out of the midst of it. Hmm. How much more do you want? Oh, that's plenty. Thank you. What really 
gets me about that verse is that God says, I see what's in your mind. Mm-hmm. So in it, this is actually, chapter 11 is actually just a continuation of the vision from chapter 8. It's all one big vision. So at the beginning of the vision, we see that God doesn't see things the way that we do. Mm-hmm. He sees behind our walls, and he sees into our dark places. Mm-hmm. And those are both things that we can't do as humans. Yeah. There are walls we can't see through, and if it's dark, we can't see. Mm-hmm. But God sees through those things, and he led Ezekiel to see that. And then here in chapter 11, later on in his vision, we see that God even sees deeper, as Isaac was saying. He's not just seeing what we're doing, but he knows what's in our minds. He knows what's in our hearts, what we're thinking. He sees it as clearly as we can see, like, just coffee mug. He sees it even more clearly than we see this coffee mug, right. because I can only see the side that is facing me, but he could see into the cup and the opposite side of it and underneath it. He could see all of it at once. And he sees your thoughts and your heart that clearly, too, which is amazing. Yeah, he, he knows. He knows what is in us more than we do you know and this is where I think things escalate for us is in Ezekiel 6 9 it says I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts this is God talking I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts which turned away from me and by their eyes which played the harlot after their idols And this word for hurt that is used here is, it's not like you, like, pinch your finger a little bit or, like, get a little small paper cut. The word is actually meant to be translated, like, crushed or broken, Mm -hmm. just, like, shattered, which is, like, bone-breaking, you know, like... My translation says the word broken. Yeah, just, like, this unimaginable amount of pain Mm -hmm. and our sin does that to God and what we just read elsewhere in Ezekiel is that God always sees that sin Mm -hmm. and that should make us stop and think for a second because hey every time I sin I am hurting the person that I love and and the person that loves me. Yeah, and the person that loves you. So take your. We are all married here. And if you're listening to this, you, you might be married yourself. Now imagine you're having an affair and you do it right in front of your spouse. Like, yeah. how much pain would that cause your spouse to feel? Mm. And then imagine you did that every day and you flaunted it right in the face of the person you love. That's that's the flaunting part of it is is important. Because that's what's going on here in Ezekiel is that they are just blatantly worshiping idols as if it's totally okay. Blatant to God, that is. Blatantly obvious to him. And our sin is the same way. It's not like these sins are special. No. When we sin, we are causing God pain because we are pretty much committing adultery with his promises and covenants. He says, hey, I I love you. I don't want you to sin. But when we choose to sin anyway, we're causing him pain in the same way that we could cause our spouse pain with an affair if we did it right in front of them. Just like, think about that. 
Well, you know what what happens to a mosquito that lands on you and grills into your skin? For the most part. <laughs> Finished. Yeah. You know, when, when your sin hurts God and you do it enough, how annoying is that? Yeah. I mean, God is loving and merciful and patient. But we don't want to test it. <laughs> In Hebrews it said, my God is a consuming fire. What? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I also, you thought of, that was a very good, you know, kind of illustration that you came up with. When I was reading this, I immediately thought of, like, I think we've all had that moment growing up when, you know, it's one thing to have your parents mad at you, but it's another if they say, I'm disappointed in you, oh. right? That was, right, like the crushing blow. I immediately thought of something like that. Like, can you imagine for a minute, and think about for a minute, it's like Josiah said, that you are causing God to be broken about something that you did. Uh, broken emotionally, not like actually causing him damage because he's God. But, you know, like, you're hurting God. You're, you're infringing on the promises that you've made to him. Yeah. And that is just a brutal way to look at it yeah I mean that should strike you emotionally yeah. it, should, it should bring you to tears that you are causing on sometimes not on purpose but sometimes definitely purposefully I've sinned sometimes on purpose you are causing God an immense amount of grief and pain and sorrow because you are doing things that hurt him and you're doing it regardless of how it makes him feel or affects him you know what the the whole life of Hosea uh, and Gomer was to display the reality of what sin is doing to God literally the illustration you gave was the object lesson that yeah. God had with Hosea and Gomer hey I know that you have treated like Gomer is this the spouse who was a prostitute and Hosea married her and gave her a stable life and loved her. Intentionally, like God told yeah, her yeah. to marry her knowing who she was. Right. And then she wanted to go back to being a prostitute anyway. And he had to go and buy her back. Which is just a crazy thing to think about, like going and buying your wife out of prostitution again. Especially since she's your wife and you don't have to buy her back anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's just crazy, and that's exactly what God does to us in our sin. And so, well, I think in Hosea, there's a, a good point to be made that God wants us to understand what He feels, mm -hmm. how it affects Him. Yeah, you know, with Gomer and yeah. Hosea. Yeah, the whole point is for us to realize, oh, we're Gomer. <laughs> you know, we're being Gomer to God. Yeah. You know. Which yeah. is a, a hard thought. Yes, it is. You know, not even the thought, a hard reality. It's a reality. But we don't want to acknowledge that. We got we have excuses or euphemisms or whatever it is to take the sting out of it so that it doesn't bother us. 
or we lean heavily on God's attributes of compassion and mercy and grace. You know, and we say those things cover our sins, which is true. And God's son that he sent to die covers our sin, which is true. But that doesn't make our sin any less potent. Mm. It just makes it forgiven. Paul has a line in 1 Corinthians where he's talking about all the people that left Egypt, passed through the sea, were under the cloud, drank from the water. Mm -hmm. There's a line in there that says, but God was not well pleased with all of them. But he, he blessed everybody the same. Yeah. But he wasn't pleased with them. Yeah, that's what we were just saying. I either I heard this somewhere, or maybe I thought it up one time in my head. I don't quite remember. But I, I like the line: uh, "The less you sugarcoat the gospel, the sweeter it becomes." And I thought that was a really that's know, good. You know, as Josiah and what you're you're also saying too, Chuck. At, at times we really, really focus, and I think we can easily see this in our modern mainstream Christian culture. Really, really focus on God's mercy and compassion and grace and love. Look at the songs. Yeah, and it's good to focus on them because they are life-giving. But we can, in turn, kind of neglect the more ugly and painful side of we still mess up and still sin and that really causes God to be broken as we just read um, but the more that we realize the severity of our sin the sweeter his grace becomes yeah yeah it's the joy of realizing how much you've actually been forgiven that yeah. causes you to yeah. rejoice in the gospel because if you don't treat sin severely the less severely you treat it the less important God's mercy and saving was. You know, like if you really felt like you didn't do that much wrong, then his mercy isn't that great. Yeah. You know? In your mind, anyway. Yeah, you know, and Paul said, just as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you, forgive one another. Well, yeah, I was such a good guy that he didn't really need to forgive mm. me that much. So I don't really need to forgive others that much. I won't either. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah just, it's not like Jesus just forgave a $100 parking ticket. <laughs> the parable is that he forgave an unpayable debt. He forgave the people that were murdering him. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't think you can get much more intense in your forgiving than that. You know? Yeah. In a slow, methodical, torturous way, murdering him. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was thinking about these things. What came to my mind was my conscience. I don't know if that fits with all of it, but our conscience, I believe, is in the in the Greek, sunudesis. You said it confidently enough to where I would believe you. <laughs> you mean like similar to God or? Yes. It is uh, actually a co-understanding. Co hmm. Your conscience is how you understand God. You've got a decision to make. You come to this point, which way? And your conscience now says... 
left. Your flesh says, oh no, right. Yeah. And your conscience then says, you know, left is better. Yeah. You understand now this decision that's before you, your decision, mm -hmm. you see it now as God understands it. Yeah. Co-perception. Yeah. As God perceives it, now you perceive it. But as is true with conscience, you can harden it, yeah. callous it. And I think that's really what's going on here is that we are changing our perspective. Yeah. When we when we walk through the world and our growing up experience and our friends and our family have a big influence on how we perceive things. And when we start seeing things like God when we see things the way he reveals them to us, we become different because our perspective changes and that and changes how we do everything. And so when we start to realize, oh, I'm not, I don't have a license to just sin. I'm accountable to it. You know, God, God sees it. I'm not alone in my sin here. You know, it's not like it's not affecting anybody. That's what I hear a lot of, like, these secret sins is, like, it doesn't hurt anybody. Why is it wrong? It's just me. Well, it's not just you. That's right. Because that's what we just saw in Ezekiel 8 is that God looks behind the walls and he sees into the dark places mm -hmm. and he sees what you're doing. Yeah. And it hurts him. And even, and even if, like, even if we said, okay, fine, it's just hurting you, that's still breaking God's heart. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, you're thinking about the conscience and how we have a decision to make God's ways left, but the flesh is wanting to say right. And I believe that, as Josiah said, the fundamental shift of when we die to ourselves and we're in Christ, you know, we now have a new conscience that, rather than saying, oh, the flesh is the right way, we now have a new conscience that says, oh, God's way is the right way. Right. You know? And so the reality... What is reality? It's the truth as described by God. Exactly. Reality is God's will. Is reality something I determine? Yeah. That's what I, I'm not that important. That's what our yeah. science heavy society tells us is that reality is what we observe and can measure. Yeah. But what God shows us in Ezekiel 8 is that reality is what he sees and knows. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, it's kind of ironic to think that we determine reality because we were part of this reality and we didn't have a choice to be a part of it. We just were put in out, outside of our choice, you know? But we're yeah. not even in command of ourselves being part of reality. <laughs> yeah. So we truly don't have control over that. It's truly God's will. Yeah. I, I want to bring up another verse, too. Uh, you know, we kind of laid it heavy on ourselves and on you all listening about God knows the deepest of sin no matter what. But I think the flip side, that's true then too. If God knows your heart, then he also sees the true wonder and purity that God made you to be in a way that's honoring him. Uh, and I, I think of 1 Samuel 16, uh, verses 6 through, uh, let's see how far does it go, verse 6 through 13. Um, King Saul is starting to not live in the ways that honor God, and God's looking for a new king. And he's asking the prophet Samuel to find 
a new king to be anointed. And of course, that comes out to be David, eventually, as a boy. But he goes to David's family, and basically Samuel looks at all the older brothers that are more tall and handsome and impressive looking, yeah. and says, surely that these are going to be the people. Uh, that's going to be the king. And God says, "Nope, nope." We got nope, a good nope. crop here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and finally, even the even the, uh, David's dad said, "Well, I have one more son, but he's like he's a shepherd. He's out on the He's just a little kid. He's just a little kid." And God chooses him. And in fact, in verse six or verse seven, uh, it says, "But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature.'" Because I have rejected him, him being one of the brothers. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And I think that really applies well to what we're focusing on today. God sees the way that, a way that we don't see. So that also means he sees the dirtiest, the filthiness of our heart. But he also sees... Absolute purity and good, good of our. I was about to say goodity. <laughs> Absolute good of our hearts uh, that we want to see ourselves and no one else would see. You know, everyone else thought David was just some lowly shepherd boy. He said, "I see him as the king to lead my people." And that's what Hosea says as well. Is that the very the very public things that we can do to honor God, like sacrifice and burnt offerings in the Old Testament. Those are like the the public ways that you show. Oh, I'm a like, or I'm a follower of God. You know, is that I'm giving these sacrifices and these burnt offerings. But in Ohio, Hosea six six, God says, "For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and I delight in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings." So He's saying, "I want what's inside of you more than I want what you do." to just be a, a facade, you know? Well, because that leads, that can lead to hypocrisy. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. And legalism. Yeah. It leads to empty faith, shallow faith. Whereas loyalty and knowledge of, of God leads to true faith. And, I mean, as I've been reading through the Old Testament... Every single time God chastises his people or calls them back to himself, it's always about the heart. It's not about what they're doing. You know, he's like, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. I want your heart. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the, the reality of all of scripture is that God is working out a way for us to get to him in true love and faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think repentance is a matter of the heart. Yeah. It's not just an about face so that you're now marching in the other direction. Yeah. What are you thinking about? Do you miss the old way? Mm. Now, if you're missing the old way, Jesus said you're not fit for the kingdom. Mm. Yeah, if you're plowing and you look behind you, look back. I believe that's why Lot's wife was turned to salt when she looked back. Yeah. You know, back in Genesis was. She was longingly looking back and wishing to have what once was her home, but that place was full of sin and things that didn't honor God. And as they were leaving to go towards God, she looked back. And she faced a much more drastic and severe instant penalty than we do, (laughs) but you should remember that. My father grew up 
plowing fields behind horses. He knew what that was like. Me, no. I plowed fields on a tractor. Big difference. Yeah. You don't have to worry about burning out the clutch on a horse. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And you don't have to worry about the tractor fainting. Yeah. <laughs> well, Give and take. My father and I would, had a disagreement about this particular passage that you brought up. He said, if you don't, if you're plowing and you look back, you won't plow straight. Mm. If you don't plow straight, then what happens? Crooked crops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I myself am under the impression that here was a here was a fella sitting under a tree in the shade with lemonade or Kool-Aid or whatever, taking it easy, and he it's your turn to plow. So he gets up to plow, puts his hands on the plow, and starts. And when he gets to the end of the field, he turns around, comes back, and he sees that tree that he was sitting under in the shade with a cool drink. And he's thinking, man, I wish I was back there. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. looking back. Yeah. Where you are more, where you desire to be comfortable instead of doing the work yeah. that God has commissioned you to do. Yep. Like the t-shirt sign said, I don't quit when I'm tired. I quit when I'm done. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's the thing about this age. You're never done until you die. That's and right. It's a lifelong work, which is the sacrifice that we're called to in this age is working hard for the kingdom of God to, to spread the word, evangelize, and then the time to rest, the time for joy, the, the, the reward is in the next age. It's yeah. in the eternal perfect place that God is going to build on this world. Which First is, Corinthians 15, 52. And it's why Paul said to live as Christ, to die as gain. You know, to live as the sacrifice of dying to ourselves and living for Christ. Uh, quite honestly, for him, he said to die is gain. You know, you look at the life of Paul, and it wasn't awesome. Yeah. You know, he was persecuted. He went hungry a lot. He, you know, X, Y, and Z. So for him to die and to have rest truly was a gain for him. At least he thought so. And I also think he's saying that every single act in this of this age is, if done for Jesus, is profitable, even yes. death. Yes. Even maybe specifically death to the most. What is more convincing than a martyr? You yeah. Know? Back right before that verse I just talked about, he says, pretty much every aspect of my life and my death will honor and worship Christ mm -hmm. and God ultimately. So, yeah. Well, I, I just think uh, overall, when we look at this idea that God sees the way that, uh, not the way that we see, that is both very intimidating and bad news and also incredible, wonderful news to us. Because you guys can't do anything to me in secret that God doesn't know about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
nor can I respond to anything you guys do to me <coughs> in secret that God doesn't know about. Yeah. And that's how there is perfect justice. Mm. Yep. And that also means God sees the worst of the worst in you, and God also sees the pure, in a sense, perfect you that you can be in the kingdom that he made you to be. You know, so. And he can also see all the inner workings of all the things around you, which makes him able to work things out for the benefit of those who love him yes. yeah. and are called to his purpose. Yeah. Which is being conformed to the image of Jesus. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how literally everything in the Bible comes back together and is connected. It's like one mind had a purpose and intent in communicating the things. It's not boring. Mm -mm. Wait, do you think that one mind is God? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, and it's definitely not boring. Yeah. It's life-changing. Even weird, obscure passages like Ezekiel chapter 8 where you usually don't find people talking about it. Like you hear people talking mostly about hot topic verses or like popular passages in the New Testament. But even obscure things in all pages of the Bible hold truth that point back to what God is doing. Yeah. I mean, I remember Dad one time preached a sermon uh, I found incredibly powerful. And he, the main verse was in Matthew. It's talking about the genealogy of Jesus. It's like, where do you find meaning in that? But he was talking about then that Rahab was part of the genealogy of Jesus. And that's the one time that uh, her title as the prostitute wasn't mentioned, was when she was attached with Jesus. And the idea was through God's salvation plan through Jesus, our titles of sinful ones are taken away. Like, God's in it all, as you were saying. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Breakfast Theology. You're welcome. <laughs> we really hope that you guys enjoyed the content. Uh, we ask that you share it if you find it valuable and that you get a hold of us and email us. If you don't. <laughs> if you don't. And if you do. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys later. Goodbye. See you later.